statistics from thin air and try and get governments to go along with new policies to handle the population problem, as they call it. In reality, there's to be a brave new world coming into view. A brave new world with a managed, reduced population because they won't need all the farmhands or the, or the, or the factory workers anymore. They don't want to have you around to keep yourselves amused. That's not your purpose, according to them. Your purpose is to serve the economic system. If it no longer needs you, then you must go, just like the factories. And I'll be back with more about this after the following break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, discussing the big changes we're going through right now, and how the lower economists, the ones who, who basically look at crystal balls and give us the, the nonsensical predictions of the future, the lower ones are telling you that everything's going to bounce back. Well, guess what? It's not going to bounce back because it's not intended to bounce back to what it was. Every major shake-up in economics and depressions always brings in a new type of society. And at the, more, the, the, the moments we have the war on terror going similar, certainly, to World War II. That's what brought the countries of the West out of the Great Depression, manufacturing for a world war. Today, they're manufacturing all security gear and so on for basically mob riots, etc., in urban settings across the Western Hemisphere. And that went through the Department of Defense's 90-page report on the predictions for the next 30-odd years, they know there's going to be rioting because they understand all the things that are going to be done to the public to bring on the riots. So nothing is, is by chance. And think tanks like that that work for NATO and the British Department of Defense don't sit, sit and just make up things out of thin air. They'd be fired. They have to have intelligence to go on to make the predictions and big players listen very intently to their predictions, and they take them very seriously. And so should we. In World War II, as I say, they brought in a new monetary-type system with the Bretton Woods Agreement. And John Maynard Keynes was the big economist that was pulled out the bag. I call it the hat trick, because a lot of people pull them out of hats, these characters. It's just like politicians. You've never heard of them before, and suddenly they're there. And they're very famous because the, medium, the media tells you so. And Keynes was the same. He was basically a far-left socialist of the true sort, not the kind that you think about. You really find out what socialism means and go into the Fabian society, go even further back into Albert Pike and the Scottish right of Freemasonry, or as they like to call it, the right of perfection. You find in Pike's writings and in those of Marx and the Fabian Society, they talked about bringing in a new economic system eventually, based on a system where there's no private property, when everyone would be in service to their betters, those with intelligence, the intelligentsia, the lumined ones, as they call themselves. Of course, they don't say themselves that they'll live at the same standard as everyone else in this great utopia. 
but some are always more equal than others in such utopias, as we find out from other writings on the subject. Now Keynes brought in part of a plan, part of a plan only in the Bretton Woods Agreement. The second part was to unfold years later. He himself thought it might take a hundred years to bring in the new system. And this is what he said. He said, when the accumulation of wealth is no longer of high social importance, there will be great changes in the code of morals. We shall be able to rid ourselves of many of the pseudo-moral principles which have hag-ridden us for 200 years. Now, was he talking about hag-ridden us for 200 years? Think about that. By which we have exalted some of the most distasteful of human qualities into the position of the highest virtues. We shall be able to afford to dare to assess the money motive at its true value, the love of money as a possession, as distinguished from the love of money as a means to the enjoyments and realities of life, will be recognized for what it is, a somewhat disgusting morbidity, one of those semi-criminal, semi-pathological propensities which one hands over with a shudder to the specialist in mental disease. But beware, the time for all this is not yet. For at least another hundred years we must pretend to ourselves and to everyone that fear is foul and foul is fair, for the foul is useful and fear is not. Avarice and usury and precaution must be our gods for a little longer. Still, only then they can lead us out of the tunnel of economic necessity into daylight. And he's talking about a new economic system, the same one that Bertrand Russell talked about, where the state will ultimately dish out to you your tokens, anything can be money, now it's electronic blips, and the government will give you tokens which you cannot save up. We'll all be the same, and we'll all have the same, living in a dull, dreary world of sameness. And that's what they're talking about. But for themselves, being illumined, of course, they'll have many more tokens than those at the bottom are dished out so they can enjoy themselves. They seem to equate it that the illumined ones have a right to more enjoyment than other people. That's why kings and queens have exalted themselves down through the ages and lived in such incredible luxury. But anyway, that, that little blurb from Keynes was in Essays of Persuasion, 1931, Chapter 5. And I think it's also in Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren, 1930, now, you take these hundred years, from about 1930 onwards, and that would tie in at the very end to the, what well, still got to go, the 30 years of war and riots. Then the new system will be totally in. But in the meantime, it'll be brought in in stages. And that's what's happening today. When government gets its hands on the bank accounts of the people, government brings in, as it always does with every Every institution which is, in which it's involved, it brings in its own new regulations right down to the individual. And they will be telling you what to eat and what to buy and what not to buy, and punishing you too by withholding your money. That's the same line of reasoning that Bertrand Russell used when he said the state shall dish out your credits. Government 
can't wait to be into your bank account and into your life because it's all used for behavior modification. That's what's really going on. And those of us who have lived long enough have watched the same scams with NAFTA and GATT and even the EU Union and all the rest of it when people keep voting not to go along with it and they don't want it. And then a great hype is created in the media. You'll be left behind. You'll all be poor. You'll be destitute, yada, yada, yada. And then they bring it back for a second vote and a third or fourth until you get it right. And here's what they're doing with Ireland, you see, with the Lisbon Treaty. And this is from the Sunday Times, October the 18th, 2008. EU plans to force second Lisbon vote. French politicians hatch plan to isolate Ireland and force second treaty poll by Richard Oakley. Plans to isolate Ireland and force the country to hold a second referendum on the Lisbon Treaty by next March were discussed at a European Union meeting 10 days ago. Minutes of the event and of a separate dinner with the French Minister for European Affairs record how French politicians and other MEPs as members of the European Parliament said that Ireland should be put in an untenable position by pressing Poland and the Czech Republic to ratify the treaty by December. There was corner Ireland until they just get it right. Do as they're told, get it right. They won't go away, you see. The minutes were made available by a high-level source who attended both events. They tally with publicly available EU minutes but include direct quotes rather than the diplomatic language of the official record. Meeting and dinner heard how Ireland's intellectual mediocrity and lack of political courage. Intellectual mediocrity. You understand who's running this whole union and the elitists behind it at the top. And here they are calling Ireland, they say Ireland has intellectual mediocrity because of the way they voted. And lack of political courage led to the rejection of the Lisbon Treaty and included discussions of how to cuddle and pamper the Irish voter ahead of a new vote while at the same time making pressures on them, pressurizing them. This will be done through massive campaigns. A meeting between the European Parliament's Committee for Constitutional Affairs and the European Affairs Committees of both the French Senate and National Assembly was held in Paris on October the 9th. It was followed by a dinner with Jean-Pierre Joyet, the French equivalent of Dick Roche, Ireland's EU Affairs Minister. So read that for yourself and look at the wording very carefully because we, we think we've seen elitists in the past with tyrants and kings that pampered themselves with lace and riding crops and big white stallions as they pummeled the peasant into the ground. The word villain comes from peasant. That's what a peasant is to them, a villain. Look at it. Look up at the word. If you are not noble, you are a villain. You are a peasant. Nothing but nothing has changed at all. Just your perceptions. Just the perceptions. And talking about peasantry, we find out that an 800-year-old right that they've had in British Commonwealth countries, or at least in Britain, and extended to the Commonwealth countries. This is from the Mail Online, at 27th of October 2008. 
says here, Health and Safety acts on 800-year-old right to collect firewood. Well, we know that they're going to eventually make everyone dependent on the system that's called interdependence. So for the past 12 years, retired builder Mike Kemp has exercised his age-old right to collect firewood from the forest near his home. But the Health and Safety Act has finally come down on an 800-year-old tradition <coughs> which dates back to the Magna Carta. Forestry chiefs say they've been forced to overrule the charter due to the increasing constraints on, of modern legislation. Now, this is put forth by the Ministry of Forestry. You see if we didn't bypass Parliament? It's back to the Queen's land, isn't it? The King's land. Back with more after this break. Fuel prices have led to more and more people combing woodland and forests for firewood 
but the Forestry Commission is suggesting they buy the same wood from local merchants. They're, you know, they're Masonic buddies that get the contracts who will still be allowed into the forest. Well, isn't that amazing? The right nod and a wink will get you in. And crossing the pan with silver. They do that all the time. They're always paying each other off if you watch them. That's tradition. Mr. Camp said that they would be very carbon intensive. He says the contractors would need vehicles to go into the forest to get the wood and to move it to the users. That defeats the whole object of the exercise. So, of course, it's a, it's a lame excuse, in other words. Peter Garson, head of estate management at the Forestries Commission in Wales, said, We understand Mr. Camp's disappointment, but this is an area where we are subject to increasing constraints in terms of health and safety. Well, bullshit to you, Mr. Peter Garson. He says, We have a duty to, of, to keep, take care of the public in our woods. Our wood. It's the public's wood, you yo yo. Says the ban currently applies only to Wales, but it's likely to be extended to Forestry Commission woods across Britain. You bet your bottom dollar that's going to happen. Bet your bottom dollar it will happen, because that is the agenda. It's it's no, you see this kind of stuff doesn't really upset me. I'm never shocked by it because I could tell you that years ago all of this would come and a lot more. And we know about the habitat areas, of course, that they're going to bring in over a period of a few years and they're going to get people off of the land in the rural areas. So they're all squashed together. All the commoners we squashed in the big overpopulated cities and you have to understand how the Soviet system was run to appreciate what I'm talking about. In the Soviet system, that's what they did with the public. Same in China. You can travel hundreds of miles in China. Everybody's crammed into these cities. You can't live on the land there. But mind you, the Soviet Union and China have their beautiful country areas for high bureaucrats little dashows scattered through the forests. Some, as I said, are more equal than others in such utopias. Now, one of the things that the big boys wrote about a long time ago was getting the children to engage in not just premarital sex, that was one goal, but even pubertal sex pre-pubertal sex. I went through talks that, and books, in fact, that Bertrand Russell wrote because he was given the rights to experiment with children. He did things with children, very much like Skinner, that they should have been locked up for or maybe even hung. At least the public would have been if they'd done these things. But he was given a royal charter, Mr. Russell, you see, to experiment with children and to try and encourage certain things like pre-pubertal sex. The idea being that the society they'd bring in would lead to no bonding between people for any length of time. And I'll explain this and give you more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
this is cutting through the matrix. Going through an article here about giving young children sex education as young as five in the UK again. See, the UK leads the world because it's the most socialist-run country pretty well on the planet today. It's quite surprising to some people, if they think at all, that Britain went in to fight World War II against Germany, National Socialism, and because government expanded and took over all the powers of farming and produce and so on and production, they came out of it as a socialist country. You think that wasn't foreseen? It's interesting that Winston Churchill said himself, his own peer group, according to Fringes of Power, written by his personal secretary, that he boasted that this war would bring on the best thing that ever happened, something they'd long dreamed of, a united Europe. Meanwhile, he was on, t on radio telling the public to go and fight for their culture and their way of life. What's new, eh? What's new? And, as I say, the same crown that authorized so much in Britain and still does today gave Bertrand Russell his, his right to use experimental schools with children. The idea being that if they could get the children involved in pre-pubertal sex and interest in sex at that age, they would naturally go into sexual activity much quicker and the likelihood of them bonding for life with a mate was vastly, vastly reduced, made it pretty well impossible. And these techniques by himself and others are now applied generally across the board, and that's why the whole culture industry is, is pushing nothing but sex, 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 and has been for about since the 1960s on a roll. We're supposed to be obsessed by it because they don't want families. They don't want people standing up. Men will stand up, you see, for their wife and their family. If they don't have a wife and family, they generally won't stand up for anything. And this is well understood by the ruling elite, because they, they have the histories, the real histories of every previous revolution, war, uprising, and insurrection that's ever happened in history. And they take these very seriously, and they take their findings of them very seriously. Therefore, they decided to destroy the family unit. We find that also dovetails with the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, Albert Pike, we find it also dovetails with the teachings of Marxism and anti-Trotskyism as well. And this article here, as I say, is about this very thing from England again. And I think this was on uh, the BBC. It says, give young children sex education, Thursday, October the 23rd, 2008. Primary school children should get basic such education a government review is expected, is expected to find. I like how they do it in advance. They're expected to find. The study is likely to, rec likely to recommend. I guess they know this. See, all this is a formality. The review is a formality. Everything that is given to the public is a formality of show. And all the decisions have previously been made and, and probably are already operating already anyway. This is uh, to recommend a shake of lessons to combat concerns. The current teaching of the subject is, in, is too patchy in England. It says, School Minister Jim Knight is due to present the findings later, as well as the government's responses. 
the review is expected to say, this is very British, you see, the review is expected to say, everyone knows what it's about except the public. The, the review is expected to say that sex education should be compulsory in all schools. Well, that's not what it's on about, really. You have to go, really scroll down and read this one. It says, uh, international evidence suggests that teaching certain aspects of sex and relationship education before puberty has a positive effect on issues like teenage pregnancy, Mr. Knight said. I wonder what country is talking about. International evidence suggests, maybe like Africa or something. Hmm? Utter rubbish they feed the public. Britain has one of the highest teen pregnancy rates in Europe, and figures suggest rising numbers of young people are catching sexually transmitted diseases. Well, no kidding. Why are they doing that? Well, everything they look at, from much music onwards, even the cartoons, is promoting sex, 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 isn't it? Isn't that all through society? That's all you see. Who gives us the culture industry? Who controls it? Believe you me, a word from one at the top who would not be amused would stop it just like that. And if she's not saying anything, that means she is amused, and therefore it will continue as approval. Sexually transmitted diseases is so interesting because everyone's known in the medical profession that it's skyrocketed since about 60 onwards, 1960 onwards. And all the stuff that says just go and do it, do it, do it, and all the songs that tell you to do it, do it, do it, Never mention the side effects of all this doing it. Never mind the abortions that come out of it too. Now it's into baby parts that are sold across the planet for lots of bucks. There's even people using it in cosmetic creams. That's how debased we become because we're told just to go ahead and do it, do it, do it. But also the sexually transmitted diseases that again took off like a rocket around 1970. I've had their toll. We find that most most women now have semi-blocked or completely blocked ovarian tubes because of repeated infections. There's some very slow ones out there that work away in the tubes and build up scar tissue and they can't come through. There's also gonorrhea. There's many people out there with gonorrhea with massive side effects of it will affect them for the rest of their lives. Syphilis too, of course. It can take 20 years to rot your brain, literally smooth out the contours in your brain. But they don't talk about that in much music or the sex culture industry when they're promoting it, do they? No, they don't tell you about that in the fallout. Because it's unpleasant and you might stop doing it. You might think twice and God forbid you do that. Current rules say pupils must be taught the biological facts of reproduction, especially in science classes, and every school must have a sex education policy. But there's no statutory requirement for teaching about relationships and the social and emotional side of sexual behavior. Well, that's not true, because they're teaching that side of things and other special classes. But not so much for the heterosexual groups. And there'll be other reasons they're going to promote this too, but I won't go into it right now. That's the real world we live in. That's the real world we live in. People, I think, you know, if you took youngsters and took them around tours of hospitals, 
they'd have a greater appreciation of life. If you took them around to work in elderly hospitals too, they'd have even more of an appreciation of life. And if you took them around the clinics where they line up with their different kinds of venereal diseases, they're not called social diseases, socially actually socially acceptable, I guess you can boast about it. Some segments of society actually are boasting about that. I don't know if you know that. But certain diseases that are transmitted by sex. It's almost an honor, part of the, the hazing ceremony to get into the club to have this. But if, you, if they went round these clinics and they saw the long-term effects of them, things which they are, are taught, they, they, they presume that they must be easily cleared up with antibiotics and so on. Nothing is further from the truth. Or they see people locked up in insane asylums with their joints all out from their shoulders and their spine all misshapen because syphilis has been working away quietly for 20 years. Very quiet. Very, very quiet. Very few people know they've even got it. Most doctors today can't even diagnose it. They're so poorly trained. But it's out there and it's rampaging. I remember too in Vietnam there were troops coming back with what they called the galloping clap in the early 70s. And that's where syphilis went through its three main stages and instead of taking 20 years it took between two and five. And youngsters at 22 were literally going senile with it and then their joints popped and so on. They don't promote that to the culture industry. Wonder why when they care so much about your welfare. Now we know that the big green movement is created and was meant to eventually dominate our lives. We can't do anything without paying penalties and fees, etc., to do anything in our lives without permission under the guise of carbon footprints and utter nonsense like this. We will pay for everything, all these abstract, nonsensical pieces of drivel that the people are starting to echo, like carbon footprint, carbon footprint. We shall win by slogans, they said, eh, in the days of Lenin. And here it is happening. And the big, big private think tanks and foundations, again, these that these conglomerates, they're all connected with each other on the same course, that bypass all democracy and democratic institutions who make policy for governments to sign. Where in anyone's Bill of Rights or Constitution across this world does it say that non-governmental organizations can dictate policy to the government? That's nowhere to be found. People should begin to demand answers about that before we're completely done in because we're almost under now for the third time. From the BBC, Wednesday, 29th of October, Earth on course for eco-crunch. The planet is headed for an ecological credit crunch according to a report issued by conservation groups. Conservation groups. The document contends that demands on natural resources overreach what the Earth can sustain by almost a third. 
Remember the Earth Charter, Maury Strong, Rockefeller Foundation, etc. The Living Planet Report is the work of the World Wildlife Fund, the Zoological Society of London, and the Global Footprint Network. Maybe we should just wipe up that footprint off the floor and toss it out. Global Footprint Network. It says that more than three-quarters of the world's population lives in countries where consumption levels are outstripping environmental renewal. This makes them ecological debtors. You see, here's a term, your debtors, if you're using too much of natural resources, meaning that they're drawing and over-overdrawing on the agricultural land, forest seas, and resources of other countries to sustain them. So they've repackaged everything again. They always repackaged to, to, to fit the, the new terminology they're using. This infographic BBC map shows hectares worth consumed in goods and services. Again, they're drawing out all these graphs, just like Thomas Malthus, these fake, bogus graphs that seem to impress so many people. The report concludes that the reckless consumption of natural capital is endangering the world's future prosperity with clear economic impacts, including high costs for food, water, and energy. Well, the food's been sewn up by the five agri-food businesses across the planet. That's why the food's gone up. There's also British companies who are taking over the water and natural gas and even natural oil for heating and the electricity is too. Electricity as well supply across the whole Americas. A British company is doing it. And that's why energy is going up. See? And they're privatizing all water supplies as well. That's why that's going up. Effort demand on the panic, panic, and, and by the way, these characters too are involved. The guys who own these big corporations are involved with the World Wildlife Fund and all these other big eco-businesses and foundations. Effort demands on the planet continue to increase at the same rate by the mid-2030s. We need the equivalent of two planets to maintain our lifestyles, said World Wildlife Fund International Director General James Leap. Dr. Dan Barlow, head of policy of the Conservation Group's Scotland Arm, added while the media headlines continue to be dominated by the economic turmoil the world is hurting or hurling further into an ecological credit crunch. So they're using economic terminology, bankers' terminology, to do with all the things that the earth contains, etc., etc. But believe you me, if you don't start fighting this now, you'll be done in by them. Completely done in. Stop playing yourselves and get active and start demanding rights because no one else is going to do it for you. No one else will do it for you. Now we've got callers here. I'll go to Andrea in New York. Are you there, Andrea? Hi, Alan. Hi. Um, a while ago you uh, spoke of Gandhi um, and at Oxford, and recently I've been reading a book by Wilderant, a history book, and he talks about Gandhi being very impressed by Trotsky and John Ruskin and the Fabian Socialists. Yeah. Uh, could you talk about that? Well, Gandhi... Britain had tried to unite all of the countries that, that comprised India. India was not one country. And in fact, Britain had been in there for 200 years with the British East India Company fomenting war and revolution between all different tribes and factions. And they still couldn't get them to unite through war or after war through treaties. So Gandhi went in there and pretty well did the job for them. It was the greatest thing that ever happened, even though they pretend they were against them, etc., it was already written up on the League, at the League of Nations that Britain, after that war or the war to come, 
would, would hand over its colonial uh, system only on the condition that they brought in the same system of democracy based on the British model. That's still in operation today at the United Nations. They use the British model. So they won't withdraw from a country, they won't withdraw their troops until it adopts the model that Britain has already set up. Now, now Gandhi, we know too, um, slept with an 18-year-old girl every night, a uh, fresh virgin, to prove that he was not tempted. That was quite the feat, I suppose. But um, there's much more to Gandhi. He, he allowed his wife, Thomas Tijitwiro, die of pneumonia when they were both in prison, a British jail. It was great for publicity and so on. Uh, he accepted antibiotics to save his own life, but he forbade his wife to do the same. So there's much more to Gandhi than the media has made up about this great man. Yeah. So we've got to always think for ourselves here and understand how geopolitics is used and how Britain does use nationals to go in to lead the people as a hero against Britain itself and only to really unite a country and then start modeling it on the British system. And it's still in league with Britain today. It's still part, actually, of an empire. Uh, the, the India has a council on foreign relations just like the U.S. has, and, and so does Pakistan. Right, right. Okay, thank you very much. And thanks for coming. And we've got, uh, we'll get Yvonne from Nevada when we come back from this break. Randy, if Randy is still there, he's next on the on the list. Randy from California. Hello, Ellen. Are you there? Yes, I am. Go ahead. Yeah, I just had a quick question about uh, the increasing tribalism among Western countries and like how that has to do with the people. Does that make it to where it's easier to control us? I mean, 50 years ago, you didn't see people getting these piercings and full body tattoos like you do today. What what does that have to do with everything? It's part of the, the degeneracy of society done on purpose. I mean, most of the, the piercing, in fact, all of the piercing and all of the fashion is promoted from, from entertainment, and, and the, the youngsters and so on just copy it. Uh, it's also the need. If youngsters don't have um, family life, and they understood this back in Hitler's day and the Soviets too, uh, if their parents are either ineffectual or out of the picture, the state, in a sense, becomes the boss. In this case, the media is, is showing them they're the boss and they're giving them the culture because they crave a culture to belong to. And so when you're deprived of a particular thing, and a need, when you're young, you, you have a gross exaggeration. You overcompensate and go overboard trying to belong desperately to, to a group or, or a subgroup or a subculture or something. And, and that's why that's happening. There's no bonding now. Many... Uh, many young guys have, have contacted me and they've come from single mother families that they haven't had the male ro role model. Uh, the gang leader in, in, a, in the street becomes his, his father figure, his brother, and that's where he belongs. Um, he feels he belongs. He's accepted there as part of the, the tribe. So this is well understood at the top. They have promoted this uh, culture. Uh, nothing has appeared in society that hasn't been promoted to the people. Yeah. Thank you very much, Alan. Yeah, thanks for coming. Good night, man. Bye now. 
interestingly enough, a, a guy that I know, his brother works in the FBI headquarters, um, had, done, had given lectures on gangs throughout the U.S. and the Western world. And what fascinated them was all of these Masonic emblems and logos they have. And some of them are very deeply occultic. It takes, you'd have to know mythologies, etc., to understand where the emblems and symbols came from. Way too much. Way ahead of what young guys on the street would know. And it'd been interesting little detective work to do to, to go into that and find out who gave these gangs the particular logos and emblems and so on. Because I'm sure a lot would, would turn up. Without the gangs, you can't have the drugs distributed. And that's why the Hell's Angels were allowed so much free scope in places like Canada, for instance, where they've even been let go at certain times. They need them to distribute the drugs. You cannot have so a police build-up over the last 20-odd years, 30 years without drugs and a war on drugs. So drugs have been very beneficial in creating the police state. In fact, they couldn't have done it without it. That was the main reason for recruitment drives and so on, and more money, more gizmos, and more surveillance on the population was under the guise of drugs. So gangs were necessary. But as I say, young people and they're deprived of parents, will have a neurotic need for a substitute. And that is why the gangs and so on take over. We find even the Gothic era, that the Gothic dress and fashion came out of one series on television, that was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, promoted by Hollywood. And they copied it, they dressed macabre, and they acted very, very sadistic and so on a lot of weak behavior, all from television, promoted by experts from the top to them. From Hamish myself, and Ontario Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.